Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Seven keys to overcoming the darkest period of your life. I made up my mind a long time ago. Not really a long time ago. It was like six years ago. But I started preaching six years ago. And I made up my mind the moment I started preaching. Even before I got, I went to preaching. I don't want to be a minister that preaches cute little nice sermonettes to Christianettes that does absolutely nothing for them. I don't want to be a preacher that tailor makes my sermons... Uh, with the idea that I'm speaking to some suburb person that has everything going right, that they just need a little encouragement to keep on going. I, I never wanted to be a preacher like that, that, that directs their messages or, or, or um, produces messages to, to address people that have it all together, to address people that, that ultimately they, 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 don't, you know, they don't need God's help quote unquote, they're, they're doing just fine. I made up my mind a long time ago when I'm going to preach and in preparation for my sermons, I'm going to have in my mind the mother that has no husband that is raising three kids and unless God does a miracle for them in finances, she is not going to be able to pay rent. She's going to be ev- evicted and on the streets. I made up my mind that I'm going to be the preacher that has the person that just got the report from a doctor that unless God moves, they are a dead, they already have a, a sentence of death on their life the cancer is eating away of their body there's nothing left going for them that they need God to move I made up my mind that I'm not going to make a sermon I'm not going to prepare a sermon based on uh, with the idea that everything's got it all together everybody's got it all together every sermon that I prepare I have in mind people that are at the 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 rock bottom people that need a touch that's why I don't come on these broadcasts and start talking like you know, like a TED talk. Like I'm just trying to encourage people to follow their dreams. I I don't want that. I want to be somebody. And that's why there's a passion that radiates from me. A lot of people write in, I love your passion for the word of God. It's contagious. It's infectious. And that's what it really is because when I was at wit's end, when I had nothing working for me, when I was at death's door, when I had d- depression and suicidal thoughts and OCD running through me, I didn't need someone to come and tell me, here's six keys to better organizing your life. I didn't need someone to come and tell me, here's how, uh, here's how forgiving those that r- did you wrong could better help you. You know, I didn't need someone to come and tell me, here's 18 steps to a better you. I needed someone to get real raw with me and some to open up the Bible and show me the Jesus of the scriptures. I needed someone to show me Jesus as what he really was. Jesus was not some motivational guru. Jesus was the son of God made flesh, is the son of God. He was made flesh and he came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Pharisees had a problem with him because he was going to intermingle with the sinners. He was talking and associating and helping people that religion deemed unworthy of help but Jesus went and I mean you 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 think of it the son of God who is seated in glory at the right hand of the throne of God 
stooped down and took on the appearance of a man. Already, you know, Philippians 2 says, he humbled himself. He laid aside his glory to get his hands dirty, to take on the very dust that he formed man out of so that he can help us. You know, people say, well, you got yourself in the mess. You're going to have to get yourself out of the mess. First of all, if anyone's ever told you that, you should shut them out for the rest of your life because they don't understand the gospel. The gospel isn't you got yourself into the mess, now get yourself out of it. The gospel is we got ourselves into the mess and God came and sent his only begotten son to get us out of the mess. I mean, that, that's why when I preach, I preach with that in mind. I'm talking to the person that needs a breakthrough. I'm talking to somebody that is in the roughest part of their life, that unless God moves, they're dead. The devil's had a field day with them, and they're crying out to God, and they need help. And, and, and that's why there's a, a passion that emanates from me. That's why I can't get on these broadcasts and just talk. I can't just get up and grab a mic when I'm preaching a live service and just talk. No, this gospel is good news. It has good things prepared for sinners and people that think that they're, you know, that, 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 that God's abandoned them. There's enough preachers that make it sound like God had his funeral 2,000 years ago and he, he's, never, he's never risen from the dead. There's enough preachers that make it out to be like God, God expired. I'm, I, when I read this book, I read a living word that has living power. It's exciting to read it. When I read through the Gospels, I, 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 don't, I don't feel like I'm reading the biography of a dead person. I feel like I'm reading the, 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 the will of a living God, of what he wants to do for others. That Every time I read the Gospels, I can't ignore the shout in my spirit that says, what I did for them, I will to do for all. And that's why, if you're going through a dark period of life right now, I, I have done, I'm making this broadcast for you. Because enough is enough. The anointing isn't given to you so you can just cope with what the devil's doing to you. It's not given to you so that you can just cope with life's mess. No, God has a way out for you. There is no temptation or trial or tribulation or problem that has overtaken man such as is common to all men. And God is faithful, the Bible says, and he will provide a way of escape. So I wanted to speak on seven keys to overcoming the darkest period of your life. Not seven keys to camping in the, the valley of the shadow of death. You know, Psalm 23 doesn't say we camp in the valley of the shadow of death. It says we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We walk through it. It shouldn't be a vicious cycle of, of, of being slapped around every single year, nothing moving forward, struggling, frustration, always, uh, always happening, that, that you're constantly in this rut, constantly in this ditch. There should be a point where you overcome. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 4, whatsoever is born of God has overcome the world. We're born again to be overcomers. We're born again to make it. We're born again to thrive where others are striving. And so I've written down seven keys on the posture of an overcomer, the posture of, uh, that you have to take if you're going to make it through, if you're going to get to the other side because you have an option now you might be in a bad place you might be in a dark area of life you have an option now you have two options you have the option either to resign and to quit and surrender to 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 the attack and say you know what sometimes life just hands you an ugly card an ugly deck uh, hand of cards and you just got to make do with it or you can pick up 
these Bible keys that I'm going to deliver you today and say, I'm not going to be defeated. I'm not going to grow weary in well-doing. I'm going to sow unto the spirit. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to take on the position of an overcomer and I'm going to see God move in my life because I know that if God is for me, then there's nothing that can come against me. There's no attack that can be orchestrated against me. There's no blueprint of hell that can be designed that can successfully wipe me out. No weapon formed against me can prosper. I know there's a way out, and I'm, I'm not only going to cry out to God for a way out, I'm going to look into his word and do what God's requiring of me to, make, to get out of the position that I'm in. And so that's why I, I, I've thought about it, and I've penned down seven of the most important keys that marks an overcomer in life. Before I do that, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36, this is what the Bible says. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. You have need of endurance. Perseverance. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So the Bible says that sometimes... You know, things don't happen, well, I prayed and nothing happened right away. Sometimes things don't happen or turn right away. What do you do in that season of faith? You know, there's a season of faith. There's a time to sow faith actions and faith words. And then there's a see, there, there, sometimes there's a, you know, there's always a season. Sometimes the season is five minutes and God's already done the miracle. Sometimes the season might be five days, five months, whatever it is, five months. But there is a season to stand in faith that separates the time that you sow your faith in action and then reap the harvest of miracles. What do you do in that season of faith? Because that's what's going to determine whether you make it to the miracle, whether the breakthrough indeed happens, or whether you just... You just back down and you never end up having the breakthrough. Whether you, you move it to the other side or you just drown in the puddle that you're in right now. So the Bible says you have need now of endurance. You have need of endurance. The problem is a lot of people know they need to endure, but they don't know what to do while they're enduring. They don't know how to endure. There's a difference between knowing that you need to do something and then knowing how to do it. I need to uh, you know, get an oil change. I don't know how to do it. I bring it to someone who does know how to do it. You need to endure, but now you need to know what, what does the Bible say about enduring? How does a, a man or a woman of God, what are biblical keys to endurance? How does a man of God, a woman of God endure in this season of faith? I want to read another scripture in 2 Peter 1.19. I read this on my broadcast on Tuesday, and it hasn't left me since. So I'm going to read it again. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which is the word of God, which you do well to heed. The word of God, you're to heed, you're to pay attention to, you're to listen to it as a light as a light, as hope that shines in a dark place. I titled this today, Seven Keys to Do, uh, Seven Keys to Overcoming the Dark Periods of Your Life, the Darkest Period of Your Life. The Bible says, You're to heed the Word of God, which acts as a light that shines in a dark place. 
So the Bible, you know, a lot of people, they hear preaching like mine, and they think, well, this guy makes it sound like there's never any uh, challenges in life, that there's never any problems, that this guy must be living in fairyland. He's never actually had anything happen to him. That's why he's able to preach this way. No, on the contrary, I've gone through my fair share of things, but I've applied Bible uh, keys, which served as light to blast the darkness out of my life and to make it to the other side. The Bible isn't a book of people that never had problems and they just breeze through life. The Bible is a book of men and women of God who had encountered impossible situations, walls that were too high to climb, mountains too high to climb, things too impossible to overcome in the flesh, in the natural strength and abilities of men. But they did things that God had commanded them to do and it provoked his intervention and in so doing they became overcomers, not by might, not by strength, but by the spirit of the living God. So I by no means ever desire to paint a picture that if you're a Christian, life is just going to be uh, flowers and daisies. That if you're a Christian, the devil leaves you alone. No, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, forces of darkness in heavenly places. But the good news is, is that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not just, um, you know, getting off self-will and self-determination to make it. No, the weapons of our will, of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not human, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. So yes, there will be challenges in life. Jesus made that evident. But the good news is, that's why the Bible calls the gospel good news. The gospel literally means evangelio in the Greek. It means good news. The gospel is good news. The people, I mean, I can't, I have no idea. It's like a skill for some preachers that they can actually take this so great of a glorious gospel and make it into not so good news for some people. It's good news. It's good news. Well, no, people say, well, no, you're not preaching hell. That's why it's good news. No, the good news is, is that there is a hell and there's a way out. The good news is if you're sick, there's a way out. You can be healed. The good news is, is if you're poor, God can provide for you and you can enter a realm of no lack. The good news is, is if you're an addicted sinner right now and you don't know how to break free, the anointing can burn, burn off the ropes that sin has set up on your life and you can march on gloriously free by the power of the Spirit of God. That if you know the truth, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The gospel is good news of great things that God has made accessible and available to those that believe. So we take heed in the dark place. You're going through a rough time right now? Now's not the time to quit. Now's the time to take heed to what I'm about to say today as a light that shines in a dark place. The devil wants nothing more than for you to think that your situation is hopeless. There's no way out. That, that, that you're going to be here forever. That this problem will endure forever. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. That you're in a, an, a, a bottomless pit of darkness. The only place there's a bottomless pit of darkness is in the abyss. And that's hell. And you're not there because you're watching this broadcast. Only those that have rejected Christ died and are in, now are in eternity are, are hopeless. There's no hope for them. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, to all that are joined to the land of the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. You know what that tells you? 
If you're a, a dog and a lion are two different things, two different categories. A lion is way stronger than a dog, way more royal, way more majestic than a dog. No matter how nice your dog is, a, a lion will triumph over every single time. It carries way more uh, of a majestic pace in its walk. But the Bible says that even a, a living dog is better than a dead lion. I'd rather have a living dog than a dead lion. What the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying is that if there's life in you, there's still hope. There's still hope. As long as there's life in you, there's breath in your lungs, and there's a beat in your heart, and there's uh, action in your brain, as long as your spirit is still alive, there is still hope. There's still hope. Listen to this, Isaiah 35. Isaiah chapter 35. And then I'm going to get into the seven, seven Bible keys. Isaiah 35. And verse, verse 3. Strengthen the hands that are weak and make firm the feeble knees. To paraphrase that, don't give up. Say to those that are fearful hearted. Say to those that are hanging on a string. Ready to throw in the towel and quit. Say to those that have been deceived by the devil. That where they are now is where they're going to die. Say to them. Be strong. Don't be afraid. You have to make a decision in life. You're either going to believe God's report. Or you're going to believe the devil's report. You're either going to say God is real and God is true and his word is true or say God's word is not as powerful as the devil's word. I'm going to believe the devil's word. Everything he says seems to come to pass. The devil seems to have more integrity than God and I, I give up. But you have to make a decision. Either God is true or God is a liar. I made up my mind when I got saved. God is true. His word is true. What he says I can have is what I'll have. What he says I can be like is what I'll be like. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong. Don't be afraid. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. And with the reward of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open. Then the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. I love it because Isaiah is going through impossible things, things that are incurable. You can't, you can't open up the eyes of the blind in natural, with natural science, with pharmaceutics or, or any type of surgery. You can't do that. When someone's blind, they're blind. But the Bible says when God shows up, behold, your God will come. When God shows up, when he comes, he comes to do the supernatural. The Bible says in Luke 1.37, with God, nothing is impossible. Never close your case. There's no closed case with God. God said, your case, is it ain't closed until God says it's closed. And God won't say it's closed until you win. And Luke 137 could be interpreted two ways. For with God, nothing will be impossible. That in that there's nothing you're facing that God can't do. And then I heard a preacher say it this way, with God, nothing is impossible. In that when God shows up, for him to do nothing is impossible. 
For him to do nothing is impossible. When God shows up, he always comes with an agenda. His agenda is to heal. His agenda is to save. His agenda is to deliver. It's to set free. It's to open up the eyes of the blind. It's to open up deaf ears. It's to cause the captive to be set free. It's to cause the brokenhearted to have their hearts mended. It's to cause the crippled to run, the mute to sing, to the, the prisoner to be let free. That's God's agenda. So the Bible says, strengthen the hands that hang weak and the feeble knees. You, you might have taken an attack and it's weakened you in your spirit. A spirit of fear may have come on you as a result. Afraid of dying now. Afraid of your marriage collapsing. Afraid of your kids never coming home. I'm here to tell you today, before I move on to these seven steps, be strong. Strengthen the hands that hang limp. And the feeble knees. And I'm going to show you how to do that through these seven Bible keys. So let's get in it. Number one. Number one. Seven keys to overcoming the darkest period of your life. Number one. Quit looking to others that failed in what you're believing God for. Quit looking to others that failed to obtain the thing that you're believing God for. Never focus on negative reports. Don't look to people that... You know, well, they believed and look at how it turned out for them. It doesn't matter how it turned out for them. Their story is not my story. They're not in my body. They're not in my mind. They're not in my heart. Neither was I in theirs. So I don't know what's going on in their mind. All I can do is take responsible, responsibility for my faith, my mind, and my actions. David said it this way. All of thy testimonies, speaking of the word of God, all of the testimonies... I have taken as my inheritance forever. Therefore, they are the rejoicing of my heart. David said, it doesn't matter what happened to brother so-and-so and sister that and that. All of God's word, I take as my inheritance. So their, their testimony is not my inheritance. God's word is my inheritance. Their story is not setting the pace or determining what's going to happen to my life. You have to resolve today to resolve these three things other people's stories will not shape my future other people's stories will not shape my future other people's opinions is not going to shape my belief system about who god is and the criticism of other people will not cause me to quit or back down other people's stories is not going to shape my future or determine my future other people's opinions is not going to determine my belief system on who I believe God to be and other people's critiques or criticism about what I'm doing and how I am is not going to cause me to back down or to quit. I'm not going to give up. Do you understand the devil can't make you quit? The devil can only put stories of other people that didn't get what you wanted to discourage you into quitting. But it's your choice to quit. Lester Sumrall, if, if you've ever heard his story, he had so many opportunities to quit. You know, the difference between great men and great women and people who, who live life and die having not done or accomplished anything or died before the time or whatever, the difference between the two is not that one was highly favored in God's eyes, and the other ones were like the chopped liver at the bottom of the barrel. 
The difference is one determined to never quit and the other quit. They decided to give in. The difference between people who achieve amazing things and others who achieve nothing in life is not that one is maybe, it doesn't have anything, anything to do with talent or natural ability or eloquence or whatever or, 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 or where they come from, their family line or whatever. It's because someone determined to go to the end. I'm determined to make it to the other side. I'm going to endure whatever I have to face, the obstacles, but I'm going to, I'm going to always, faith will always find a way through. And people of faith always find a way through. And faith always obtains a good report. That's the difference between the two. So you have to make a, res a resolution right now. I'm not quitting. Come hell and high water, I'm not quitting. You know, Lester Sumrall said when he had $12 in his pocket and he had, he had um, was preaching in San Francisco at a church. He preached an entire week for the pastor there and the guy kept, uh, you know, mentioning his name every time he'd give, take the offering up. And at the end of the week, they didn't give him a dime, didn't give him one penny. He had not only preached every night, every single afternoon, he brought the the Bible college students out to do soul winning and taught them how to win the loss in the streets. And after a week of laboring, he didn't receive a dime. And not only that, when he got to the port where he was now traveling to Australia to meet Howard Carter there, he gets to the port. The pastor was so kind to drive him to the port. You know, after a week of meetings, didn't give him an offering, nothing. Kept taking up the offering in his name, but didn't give him a penny. And then he said, you know, I'll drive you to the port. What a kind guy. Drives him to the port. And these were his, his words that he left Lester Sumrall with. He said, do you have any, anybody back in your missions trip? He said, no, only God. He said, you young kids are always saying Jesus, a pastor, that Jesus this, Jesus that, that God's backing me. You need an organization. You need an assembly. To back you or you're going to fail. You're going to starve overseas and die. That's what he told them. You know, unless there's some over, he had an opportunity there to get discouraged and quit. But you know what his reply was? Because he had already determined, I'll, I'll die before I quit. He had already determined that. So he replied and said, well, if I do die in China or wherever I go, I want you to uh, ship a tombstone overseas where I'm buried that says, here lies Lester Sumrall died believing in God. And he said, I won't do it. And Lester Sumrall said, you won't have to do it. Because God always promotes someone who doesn't quit. God will always honor the one that endures to the end. God will always lift up the one that refuses to bow down and back down. If you won't give up, God will lift you up. And God will take you to the other side. I, when I started out in the, in the ministry, we had no doors open. I don't come from a family of preachers. I don't come from this great, you know, heritage family of preachers, Oral Roberts or Lester Summer or Teal Osborne and everybody want, oh, he's, he's so-and-so's grandson. God, we got to get him to come. No, I didn't have that. And I don't want, I didn't want that. I wanted God to be my source. I wanted God to be the source. And if I had anything in life, I couldn't, I couldn't credit anything else and nobody else would be able to credit anybody else. That if I lift up, it's only God who gets the acknowledgement for everything. So I didn't have any open doors. I didn't have any money coming in. I had just gotten married. We were living in my parents' basement, for goodness sake, because we had nowhere to go. No meetings, just fasting and praying for God, to, for believing God to, to open up doors. And I had people come around me saying, you should get a job. Go get a job. You're just praying and fasting all day, doing nothing. I had a specific instructions 
Not that getting a job is bad. You know, if God says get a job in the meantime, go ahead and do it. But I had specific instructions. Do not get a secular job. In the meantime, fast and pray. I'll open up doors. Because if you get a secular job, you're going to get off course and you're going to go into a different direction that I wanted to take you in. I had people telling me, get a job. You look lazy. You look like... And I had to... I had to, to, to receive all of that criticism. And there were times where I felt like quitting. There were times where I would tell my wife, man, maybe I should just get a job. You know, I, I don't want to live here. I don't want to live in my parents' basement the rest of my life. Maybe I should. But a good thing I had a holy, I have a Holy Ghost wife that encouraged me to never give up. And even though we weren't living a luxurious life at the time, she, she didn't mind. We never bat an eye at it. We never complained about it. We just kept on moving. And I refused to quit. I refused to give up. Well, now, fast forward six years, we're about to buy a home this year. We, we, we've moved on. We've got more doors than ever. We've got uh, doors and calls coming off from everywhere to do crusades in their city, to preach in their services, to do, you know, all kinds of revival meetings, week-long revival. We, we, we're getting calls from large television shows to come on their show this year. Had I given up, I would have nothing. I would have lived... You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with having a career and doing all that, but that's not where God wanted to take me. But as I stuck to the path, you know, the Bible says, let every man remain in the same calling in which he was called. As I stuck to the path and I bull rushed through the criticism and I lowered my shoulder and I kept running like a running back through the opinions of men. Everybody has an opinion about you. But other people's minds is a wrong place to put your joy and to put your happiness Everybody will have an opinion as to what you're doing. But opinions are like armpits. Everybody has them and most of them stink. So don't look at what others, where other people failed. You know, and that's the thing is everyone that failed in what you're setting out to do are the ones that are going to come and discourage you from reaching forward to what God wants to give you. It's amazing. It's all the people that, that, that never had success, that, ne that want to teach you on success. People that never broke through, that want to teach you on, on, what, uh, on, uh, on your situation. They want to give you a lesson on what you're going through. Doesn't work that way. The Bible says, be followers of them who through faith and patience obtained the promises of God. Not explained. If someone, they could just explain God's promises away, that's what most preaching is. They're just explaining the promises of God away. Well, I know the Bible says that he'll heal you and by his stripes you were healed, but we have to look at the context of what Jesus was about. You know, they, they, they just want to explain away the promises of God. And it's amazing how skillful some preachers are. You listen to them long enough, you're not going to believe God heals anybody anymore. God doesn't do any miracles anymore. By the time you're finished listening to them, you're wondering if you're even saved. The Bible isn't saved. Be followers of them who are good at explaining. Be followers of them who have obtained the promises of God. That have laid hold on the eternal life of God. That have obtained a good report that faith promises. Read Hebrews 11. Look at all the, the, the men and women of faith. It doesn't say, and by faith, you know, by faith, Abraham obeyed. But, but he died having never seen Isaac. No, he, he saw Isaac. He received his son, the miracle child that he was believing for. By faith, Sarah received strength. By faith, we receive things. Faith is not your ability to explain things. Faith is 
an empowering force that enables you to receive things from God's hands. So quit looking to others that failed in what you're setting out to do. Discipline, discipline yourself on what you focus on. You might not have been able to control what happened to you in the last several months, but you're able now to focus uh, or to control what your focus is, is on. You might not have been able to control what happened to you, but now you can control what you focus on, and in controlling what you focus on, it'll affect what happens. You might not have been able to control what happened, but when you control what you focus on from this day onward, you can control what happens from here on out. Let me read this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is what the Bible says. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. There it is again. We don't get discouraged. That's Paul saying. I want you to write that out in the comment section. I will not lose heart. I will not lose heart. It's a powerful declaration to make. Why do you think 365 times in the Bible, it says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Dismayed is an old, old-fashioned way of saying don't get discouraged. Because there's 365 days in the year, and one, don't be afraid for every day of the year. You should take that pill every single day. I'm not going to be afraid. Everybody's concerned about taking vitamins every day. Why don't you take the vitamin of his word that says, I will not be afraid. I will not be discouraged. I will not grow weary. There's a power in declaring that over yourself, over your life. I said it on Tuesday in my broadcast. When you speak a thing, the brain actually sends out neurons, which are uh, messages transmitted throughout the rest of your body to tell your body how to feel um, in, in light of the command your mouth just issued out. So when you command, I'm, going to be, I'm not going to be afraid, your body then beats, it fends fear off. When you command, when you speak, I will not be discouraged, your body's going to naturally just fend off discouragement. If you'll say, I'm not growing weary, I'm not growing tired, your body's going to fight fatigue. It's going to fight signs of weariness. So I will not lose heart, Paul said. Even though my outward man is perishing, I'm growing older by the day, yet my inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, there it is again, said it before, the devil wants to get you to believe that what you're going through is for a lifetime. The Bible says that light affliction is for a moment. Two things the devil wants you to believe concerning what you're going through right now, this dark period in your life. Number one, he wants you to believe that what you're going through is a heavy affliction and an impossible one. That what you're going through is separate and different from what anybody else has ever gone, anybody else has ever gone through. Your situation, your case is special and that's why it's going to be harder and more difficult for God to get you out of it. Number two, he wants to get you to believe that your affliction is a lifetime affliction and those two things are lies one the bible says what you have is light affliction and number two the bible says it is a light momentary affliction and i want to remind you what first peter 5 says that the god of peace after you've suffered a little while so the bible even says you shouldn't suffer beyond a little while after you have suffered a little while himself will perfect you will establish you will strengthen you will glorify you and will get 
you to the other side. You're not going to die where you're at. I see a glorious future ahead of you if you won't give up and quit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Our light affliction, which is buff for a moment, is working for us. And go for a third thing. Devil wants you to believe. God's not working for you. God is working. Whether you see it or not, he's working for you right now. He's working things out. If you'll stand in faith, your faith stance is causing God to continue working out your situation. And he's working out a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Praise the Lord. Your tomorrow's going to be all right. Verse 18. So this is what I was getting at. Focus. Discipline your focus. While we do not look at the things which are seen. I'm preaching to someone right now. We don't look at the things which are seen. But we're looking at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are just temporary. What you're seeing now is just temporary. That marriage that is on the brink of divorce, what you're seeing now is just temporary. God, if you'll stand in faith and you're living out what Ephesians 5 says, husbands love your wives and wives submit to your husbands, you're doing everything you know to, to a successful marriage biblically, God is saying, don't look at what you're seeing in the natural. Look at God working behind the scenes that your marriage is going to turn out all right. Your body that the doctor said, the x-ray shows a real bad report. You ain't going to live long. We don't look at the x-ray. We don't look at the things which are seen. That's temporary. I'm going to live and not die, declare the works of the Lord. My God is working for me a far more exceeding weight of glory that's going to shine a message to this generation that my God is not a God amongst gods. He is the living and true one, and he's alive today. We don't look at the things which are seen, which are temporary, but we look at the things which are unseen, which are eternal. Focus. Focus on good reports. Gravitate around stories that encourage your faith. Number two, stop listening to ungodly advice. Psalm 1 says, How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And ungodly advice doesn't always come from ungodly people. Ungodly advice can come from Christians. Newsflash. Ungodly advice can come from Christians. Lester Sumrall got that advice from that pastor. Not from some demonized person that was naked running on the streets. Hey, you'll die. He would, that would have been easy to fend off. Lester Sumrall would have just looked at him and said, you're demonized. What do I care what you think? But it, was a, it came from a pastor, someone that was to be respected, someone who's supposed to be in the word. So the devil doesn't care. You know, the devil's not going to come to you. The Bible says he often disguises himself in a, in a, as a minister of light. He's not going to come to you as some, you know, uh gathering demoniac style display where he's ripping clothes off and he's bleeding and you have some guy that's on the streets of St. Catherine in Montreal just eh, tomorrow's not going to be all right for you he's not he knows that's not going to do anything for you you're just going to be like that guy's nuts that guy that guy needs help he needs deliverance what is he coming he comes with a subtle voice of someone you might respect Someone you might, now I'm not saying you shouldn't have godly counselors. The Bible says there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. But you have to take everything, no matter the source, you take everything through the filter of the scriptures. Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8. When I was, when I had OCD, I had someone I highly respect tell me that had been a Christian longer than I was. 
tell me that this was Paul's thorn in the flesh, that my OCD was Paul's thorn in the flesh, and that I have to learn to deal with it. That, you know, you spent all those years away from God, and now God's just trying to, he's using this to help you. Help you, like, trim off the, the, the flesh, and trim off sin, and trim off all those things. And for a little while, I questioned it. Perhaps it was. But then I got godly advice from my pastor, Pastor Stephen Giswaldi, who I'm going to have in the broadcast either this week, this coming week or next week, who, who, who was wise enough to look at the scriptures and sit me down and explain to me why it wasn't Paul's thorn in the flesh and that Jesus' will is always to heal. And then came my healing after I heard that. So I could have... The, the person that gave me the other advice, that it was Paul Stern and Flesh, they were a Christian, and I respected them, and they had been a Christian longer than I was. But it didn't sit well with me. Pay attention when something doesn't sit well in your spirit. This is what Philippians 4 says. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's anything virtuous or if there's anything praiseworthy in that thing, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and signed me, these things do and the God of peace will be with you. So that's the filter. Any thought that comes your way, any advice, any counsel, anybody's input has to go through the filter of what I just read. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it righteous? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it, does it spark excitement in you? Is it of good report? Is it virtuous? Is it, does it bring you the desire to praise? Is it praiseworthy? If it doesn't, don't meditate on it. Re refuse it. Like the Bereans in Acts 17. The Bible says Paul came and preached the gospel to them. And the Bereans were more noble-minded than those people, those Thessalonians that were at, uh, those people that were at Thessalonica, in that they received the word, but they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so. Don't just don't be an open-mouthed Christian that whatever comes in your mouth, you chew, swallow, and 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 digest. Be selective. Let it go through the wisdom. Let it go through the filter of the word. Because people are going to gather around you and they're going to feel a burden to give you their two cents. I'm going to tell you, when you go through a rough path, a rough patch in life, you're going to have people that come around you and they feel burdened to offer advice. And there's a way that seems right to many men. But the way ends in death. They feel like they're, they're not evil people. They feel like what they're doing is going to help you. Uh, you know, they, they, they feel like what they're telling you to do their advice is going to be beneficial to you. But many times it's not. And so you have to go through the light of scripture, shine the light of scripture on the piece of advice. And, and if it doesn't, if it doesn't pass the filter, then I have no business keeping it in my mind. Stop listening to ungodly advice. Galatians 1 Galatians 1, listen to this. This is Paul speaking to the Galatian church. Verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, to another opinion, to another perspective, to an ungodly counsel, which is not really another, but there are some who are troubling you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Sometimes advice will come in 
the shell of scripture, but the, the understanding of the scripture is so corrupted and perverted that it's, they're trying to make the Bible say something that it doesn't really say in an effort to just give you temporary comfort. Remember, the Bible is not designed to give you temporary comfort. The Bible is designed to give you breakthrough. So ungodly advice can actually have scriptures tied to it. I heard a, a, a woman at a church, a pastor of a church, get up. A, a, a lady pastor, get up and, and tell her congregation in an effort to get them more V-A-C-C-I-N-A-T-E-D. Can't say the word anymore. They flag me. Uh, in an effort to get their congregation a higher rate of that, she started to relate the VAX to um, the gospel and, the, and that they were apostles to go out and tell the people around them, their family and friends, of the benefits of the VAX and that you should act as apostles. So, and she starts using scripture. So she was using scripture, but it was so demonically warped that it, 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 was, it, it was a warping of scripture. It's exactly what the devil did in, in Eden. Did God really say? And then he took scripture and warped it. What the devil did in Jesus' day when he was trying to tempt him in the wilderness. Hey, Psalm 91 says, if you, if you fall, God will give his angels charge to bear you up in all your ways. He was warping the scriptures. He was trying to make the scriptures say something it didn't say. Paul's saying exactly that. There are people who will warp the gospel. They'll warp the word of God and they'll use it. They'll use it to try and, 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 uh, and, and I, like I said before, not all of them are, are evil people. They might be simply deceived. But simply deceived, doesn't matter if they're simply deceived. I ain't going to get simply deceived. You go on to chapter 3 and verse 1. Paul, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should no longer obey the truth. So be careful that you're not bewitched by listening to ungodly counsel. Because if you listen, the Bible says, the thoughts of the righteous are right. So listen, on the flip side, listen to godly counsel. There are people God will put in your life that will offer you sound advice and sound counsel. When you find someone like that, that's married to the word of God. That's, their counsel starts in the Bible, stays in the Bible, and finishes in the Bible. Cling to that person. Because the thoughts of the righteous are right. It's the counsel of the wicked that's deceitful. Number two, stop listening to ungodly counsel. Number three, get in the word more than ever before. When you get in the word of God, the, the temptation, when you're going through a rough patch, is to start thinking that God is not entirely good. That God has some evil warped mind, that he's seditious. That he, he, he ultimately is not interested in your good and in your promotion and your prosperity and helping you. That's the devil's lies. Starts to come. You start going through a rough patch. He starts to, to whisper lies into your mind. And a lot of people believe him. That God's not good. That's, he's not ultimately concerned about you. That he doesn't care for you anymore. When you get in the word, the word of God builds you up and strengthens you to not fall for, the, for those demonic lies. Because you start to read in 1 Peter 5, 7... That we are to cast our cares on the Lord for he cares for us. 
It's very easy to believe that God doesn't care for you when you never heard that God actually cares for you from his word. But when you start to see that the Bible says he cares for you, and we're to cast our cares upon him, that he said, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest, that God is not a sickness bringer, he's a rest bringer. God is not the author of distress and anxiety, he's the author of peace and rest. God's not the author of tribulation and trouble, God is the author of solutions and, and victory. God's not the author of destruction, he's the author of, of your faith, he's the author of your... of, of um, of something great that he wants to build in your life, when you start to read that, you know, it's easy to believe God doesn't love you when you don't read from the Bible and aren't drunk on what the word of God says, that what great love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, that the Bible says that God demonstrated his love towards us and that he didn't withhold even his most prized possession, which was his only begotten son, that while we were still in sin, he died for us. When you start to read in the Bible, in Psalm 118, that it says, God is my helper, he's amongst them that help me, that he'll never leave me, He'll never forsake me. He'll never abandon me. That he's written my name on the palm of his hand. That even if our father and our mother forsakes us, he said, I, the Lord, will never forsake you. You start to read that and get drunk on that. It's very hard to get discouraged. It's very hard to get uh, disturbed by the devil's lies. It's very hard to fall prey to the demonic deception that God doesn't care for you. He's abandoned you or he's left you. No, on the contrary, when you start to read that Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the ages. You read that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And you, you start to now have a supernatural strength rise on from within you. Like Joshua 1 9 says, Be strong and do not be dis, uh, be strong and courageous. Be not fearful nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. Puts a strength in you, causes you to rise up strong. So it's important now to get in the word more than ever before. Eat it up. Swallow it whole. Hook, line, and sinker. Can't stress it enough how important it is. There's too many ignorant believers. There's too many people that call themselves Christians and they're ignorant of the word. And as a result, they're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. They believe whatever comes their way. They, they never take a stance because they don't know what to stand on. There's no foundation of the word. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.3, he sustains all things by the power of his word. The power of the word is able to sustain you in this dark time. If the power of the word can literally sustain the earth, he sustains all things, including the earth. You think gravity is holding this thing up? That's just the scientific observation of what the word of God's actually doing. It's the word of God that is holding the earth up. It's the word of God that's holding the stars in their place. It's the word of God that keeps the sun where it's at and the earth revolving around it. It's the word of God that sustains all things. If it can sustain those things, it can sustain you. Get in the word. Number four, fight off feelings of hopelessness. You have to fight off feelings of hopelessness. Psalm 42. Hope, hope, feelings of discouragement are going to come. I'd be a liar to say that you're never going to feel discouraged. 
You're going to, that discouragement is going to try and come and settle in. But you have to decide whether you're going to open up the door and make the home of your heart comfortable for discouragement to stay or you're going to make it extremely uncomfortable, open the door and boot it out. Don't create an environment in your life where discouragement feels comfortable to settle and stay. Boot it out. Take charge. Bible says in Psalm 42, as a deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? See? The devil will make sure that he gets people all around you that have been mocking your Christianity all these days, and then you go through a rough patch, and now more than ever, they're going to say, where's your God? See what, where that led you? What is all that praying doing for you now, brother so-and-so? Where is your God? Let me tell you something. I prophesy in the name of Jesus. Those who have been saying, where is your God? Will soon say, show me your God. As they see God work for you, something that eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what has never entered the heart of man, God is going to do for you in the name of Jesus Christ. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the vo voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? So David, he's acknowledging, I'm discouraged now. But he didn't say, huh, it's normal in life to be discouraged. He said, why are you so downcast? He rejected it. Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him again. For the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. So I'm going to remember you from the land of the Jordan. I will remember you from the heights of Hermon. And he starts to recount all the victories God did for him. All the victories David had. So how do you fight off discouragement? Remember everything God has done for you in the past. Reminisce the victories that heaven brought your way. David, when he came to Goliath, I'm sure there was discouragement that tried to creep him. When Saul said, he's been a warrior from his youth. You're like 16 or 17 years old. You don't even have a sword. You just have stones and a sling. What do you think you're going to do against this guy? I'm sure discouragement knocked on David's heart and said, can I come in? David shut the door immediately and said, he said to Saul, the same God that delivered me from the paw of the bear start to talk about what God did to did for him in his times past the same God that delivered me from the paw of the line is the same God that's going to deliver me today you reject discouragement by remembering the years of the right hand of the most high God Psalm 77 listen to this Psalm 77 so the devil wants to get you to focus on the stories that didn't turn out too well of other people, remember Sister sister Sally, you know, she was believing God for healing and, you know, she was faithful and didn't turn out good for her. That was Sister Sally's story. I'm not going to focus. Her story is not my story. Remember, we talked about that. Is, is she the example of our faith or is Jesus Christ the example of our faith? Is she the example of our faith or is the Word of God the source 
of faith. Faith cometh by hearing Sister Sally's story, or does faith come by hearing the word of God? So the devil tries to get you to focus on bad things that happen to others, whereas God wants to get you to focus on what he's done to others, which is proof that he is willing and desiring to do it for you today. Psalm 77, verse 10. I said, this is my anguish. So Christians are not ignorant. We're not to be ignorant. You know, doctor said you're not doing well. No, he didn't. Okay, doctor said you're not doing well. We don't just bury our heads in a, a, a pit somewhere and say, no, no, no. I refuse to believe that. I refuse. No, we understand. That's the fact, whatever. But the truth triumphs over the fact. So David said, this is my anguish. He didn't deny. Faith is not denying the realities of life. It's not denying the problems of life. Faith is securing the truth of God's word, which enables us to overcome the, the things of life, to overcome the obstacles of life. So David said, this is my anguish, but I will remember. Psalm 77, 10. I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. Hallelujah. I'll meditate on all your work. I'll talk about all your deeds. For with your right arm, you've redeemed your people. Praise the Lord. Set your focus. That's how you fight off discouragement. That's how you fend off feelings of giving up. Remember from where God pulled you out of all those years ago. And if God did it then, you think he's abandoned you? No, no. Don't cast away your confidence. He has promise of great reward. For someone to become hopeless, you have to first accept the devil's lie that God has abandoned you. So you fight that off, and it ties with, with uh, key number three that I said, that getting in the word more than ever before. Because you can't remember God's word and what he's done in his word if you don't know his word. So when you don't know his word, the devil can come in and tell you God's abandoned you, and then you're going to be a victim of hopelessness. For you to become hopeless, hopeless, you have to first believe the devil's lie, which is that God has abandoned you. I'll, I'll tell you something. There's no New Testament Christian that can say, God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, Jesus, Psalm 22 is prophecy of what Jesus would say on the cross. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, when he bore the sins of the world in his body, God turned away. That's why there was darkness over the whole earth. For that period of six hours, God turned away from his son. Because he couldn't behold sin, and Jesus became sin. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 21. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So that's why he said, why have you forsaken me? The only one who's ever been eligible to pray, God, why have you forsaken me, was Jesus Christ hanging on that cross. Because for that split second of time, God turned away from his son, but he turned away from his son so that he can turn to us. So that from now, as we receive Christ, God will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, listen to this. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hallelujah. So don't, don't start praying that religious prayer. That sounds so nice. Oh God, why have you forsaken me? Lord, I feel so lonely. You, you just don't believe that God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's all it is. He's not forsaking you. He's actually probably telling the angels, angels, get this guy to stop talking. Gosh, it's annoying. I already told him I'll never leave him and forsake him. What, what is he saying? I've left him and forsaken him. Angel, play something on the harp. I need, I need to get my mind off this guy. Quit playing. It actually irritates God. It's like saying, God, why won't you save me? What do you mean, why won't I save you? I already sent Jesus. It irritates him. It, it, I, I honestly believe it's irritating to God. For someone to say, God, I think God forsook me. Really? No. You might feel that way, but your feelings aren't the litmus test for truth. That might be a, a revelation for some people today. Your feelings are not the litmus test for truth. Just because you feel that way, truth does not care about the way you feel. Truth is truth whether you feel like it or not. So if you feel like you forsook you, I don't care. You think every day, I said this on Tuesday, every day I wake up feeling like God is right by my side? No, but the truth is, is that he said, I am by your side. I will be by your side and nothing will cause you to stumble. David said, I have kept the Lord ever at my right hand. Because he's at my right hand, I will never stumble. And he's like a dreaded champion standing by me, Jeremiah said. So I know he's with me. And that's why I can boldly declare. So because I know he's with me, I can boldly declare. The Lord is on my side. What can I fear? What can man do to me? Which ties me into point number five, key number five. Don't talk about where you are now. Talk about where you're going. Do not talk about where you are now. Talk about where you're going. I just feel like that. And you start listing off how you feel right now. Don't talk about how you feel now. Talk about where you're going. Your tongue is the rudder of the ship. I've had this in my spirit the last week. Your tongue is the rudder of your ship. Where you, what you speak is going to set the direction for where you go in life. So you're in a dark place right now. Maybe the darkest period of your life. You can either talk about everything that's happening to you right now, which never helped anybody. It might secure man's sympathy, but it doesn't secure what you really need, which is God's help. Or you can talk about where you're going. You can actually determine your future by speaking faith words today. You're grumbling about where, you're do where you are now. It's not helping anybody. It's not. You have to decide. I either want to be the pity party of the community you know, some people actually are fed by others feeling bad for them. Do you know that there's people that actually, it's like food to them. It nourishes them. They love to be pitied. They love to be the talk of the town. Don't be like that. Your grumbling is the devil's trophy. Your grumbling is the devil's trophy. Just like praise glorifies God, grumbling and complaining glorifies the devil. Causes a party in hell. Just talking about where you are now is not going to change anything. For the better. In, in actual fact, it's going to change things for the worse. Instead, use your tongue to provoke God's, God's intervention. I talked about it on Tuesday. The power of your words. The creative power of your words. By faith, the worlds were framed by the word of God. In the same vein, you might be in a dark place right now. But if you'll speak the word, you can frame a different future. 
You can actually navigate yourself out of this troubled storm and navigate yourself into peaceful waters. That's why David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack. Who knows if he was lacking at that time? He just said, I will not lack. He leads me by still waters. He started to speak and use his tongue to bring him into his desired future, into the desired place. Call those things which be not as though they were. Look to the reward. Don't look to where you are now. From the scriptures, get a mental picture as to where you want to be. If you're sick in a hospital bed right now, think of yourself, because the word of God says that he'll take sickness out of your midst. So we have a promise. Now, hope. What is hope? So faith is locating God's word on the matter. Hope is now picturing yourself in light of the scriptures well. I picture myself well. If you're sick in a hospital bed right now, picture yourself riding a horse for goodness sake. Picture yourself running a marathon. Picture yourself traveling like you used to. If your business is collapsing and you don't know financially how you're going to make out of this, get the word that says my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And now picture yourself with a prosperous business. Picture yourself not only having your needs met, but having such an abundance you're able to help other people. You need rent paid at the end of the month? Don't picture yourself evicted. The devil wants you to picture yourself evicted because the Bible says nothing can be restrained from them of which they have imagined to do. Your imagination is powerful. I know there's motivational gurus that twist it and they, you know, new age, all that junk. They, they, they twist it and, and, and take the demonic spin on it. But remember this, the devil is the counterfeit of God. He uses God things and he twists it and puts a demonic spin on it. But the Bible is very clear that the imagination power of man is strong. God said in Genesis 11, now this they imagine to do and nothing could be restrained from them of which they've imagined to do. So, if you're believing God for rent, imagine yourself not only paying rent, imagine yourself being a landlord and you're the one receiving rent. Your marriage is, is on the rocks right now. You're in a dark place in your marriage. Imagine yourself now not only having a strong marriage, but helping others out of, of the rocks of, 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 uh, of a poor marriage. By your testimony, now helping other people to get out of the rocks of, of a poor marriage. So look to the reward. Picture yourself well. Picture Think on these things, the Bible says. Moses, by faith, forsook Egypt because he looked to the reward. Don't focus on where you're at and don't talk about where you're at. Talk about the reward. Talk about where you're going. I could have talked about where I was at. Got no doors. How many of you know? The days of people having evangelistic meetings and crusades are over. You know, nowadays... The only position of ministry there must be is just being a pastor of a church. So I'm going to come off the field because that's, you know, it seems like doors aren't opening for me. I don't talk op closed doors. Even when I didn't have op uh, closed doors, I made it very, I set a door, a door over my lips. I set, I kept watch and kept a guard over what left my mouth. The Bible says in Proverbs 30 and it's verse 32, put a hand to your mouth if you've devised foolishness. Be careful what leaves this mouth. 
because you might just see it tomorrow. I spoke, great and effective doors are being opened unto me. He holds the key of David. He opens and no man can shut. God is opening doors that no man will be able to shut for this ministry. We have an abundance of open doors. I talked about where I was going. And look, you can preach yourself into an awesome future. Call it forth. See it in your spirit and call it forth. Those things which be not as though they were. Number six, fast and pray. You'd be amazed at how many people are in a dark period of life and they think just thinking about where they at and wishing that that's enough. The Bible doesn't say wish and you shall receive. It says pray, ask and you shall receive. You'd be amazed at how many people have never actually prayed about uh, coming out of where they're at. Never prayed to God and asked for deliverance. Asked. You'd be amazed. This sounds like elementary, but you'd be amazed at how many people need the reminder to actually ask. You should ask God. Ask and you shall receive, the Bible says. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not of. And when prayer alone's not working, throw in fasting. Throw in fasting. That's why I talked about fasting and prayer. First of all, if you're in a really messed up situation you might not even want to eat that might be a sign to go on a fast nothing wrong if you don't feel like eating don't eat fast and pray the bible says in judges 20 benjamin had gone off the rails they the the people of benjamin had, had done wicked things and the rest of israel wanted to set them straight they asked of the lord they inquired of the lord lord uh, should we should we do this should we go to war against benjamin the lord said yes go i'll give you the land or I'll help, I'll, I'll help you defeat them. They went and they got defeated. They went again. Same thing. Then the Bible says they fasted from uh, sun, sun, uh, sunrise to sundown. Six to six fast. And as they mixed fasting in with their prayer, they inquired again of the Lord. And the Lord said, go for you shall without fail get the victory. And they did. So they prayed, they prayed, nothing worked. Then they mixed fasting in with their prayer. Judges 20 said when they fasted and prayed, they had the victory. Sometimes there are things, forces against your destiny, that prayer alone ain't going to be enough. But when you mix fasting and prayer in with it, it's like, like a CLR. Whatever's been clogging up, not CLR, Drano. Whatever has been clogging up, Whatever resisting force against uh, your prayers being answered that's been clogging up the pipe, when you fast, it releases Drano, spiritual Drano into the system, and it clears the way so that the answer comes. Isaiah 58 says, when you fast, your light will break forth like the dawn. So fasting and prayer is a thing you should be doing. If you're in a dark period of life, you don't, most of the time you don't feel like eating, go on a fast. And I, I can tell you, there's nothing that a three-day fasting, three days of fasting and prayer, there's nothing three days of fasting and prayer uh, cannot deal with it. There's nothing that three days of fasting and prayer cannot deal, will not deal with your situation. I really believe that. And number seven, and I finish with this, lift up your hands. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in the darkest time of their life. Scheduled for execution in the morning, the Bible says that they had been thrown into the inner dungeon, shackled with chains. And at the midnight hour, what's midnight? It's when it's the darkness, the darkest of any day. 
At the midnight hour, the Bible says when they had opportunity to complain, opportunity to grumble, opportunity to quit, opportunity to back down, opportunity to say, you know what, Silas, if we get out of this, I'm just going to stop preaching. Instead, the Bible says they began to pray and sing psalms unto the Lord. They lifted up a voice of praise. And when they did that, the Bible says suddenly there was an earthquake and the prison uh, pillars were shaken. Everyone's doors were open. Everyone's shackles and chains came off. And the Bible says they were all made free. They began to praise. They had made a decision. No matter how dark things might be right now. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 3. Even if the vine is not producing fruit. Even if the fig trees are not blossoming. Even if there's no fed calves in the stall. Even if it looks like all hell broke loose against me. In this I will praise God. In this I will glory in the God of my salvation. When they did this. It sent out an invitation to heaven that God didn't send an angel. God himself stood and uh, stood up and came down himself into that prison cell. How do we know it was God? Because the Bible says, tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord. There was an earthquake that was God's presence hitting the place and everyone was set free. Listen to this, Psalm 137. When it's the hardest to praise is precisely the time you should praise. When it feels like there's a weight on your hands and you can't lift them is exactly the time where you say, this is how I'm fighting my battles. You don't wait for things to get better before you do it. Joshua was told by the Lord, I want you to go on seven times, circle this these walls of Jericho. And on the seventh day, circle it seven times on that day. And shout, for I have given you the victory. You shout before the walls fall, not after they fall. Because your shout is what provokes a heavenly wind to take down the walls. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yeah, we wept. Weeping doesn't move God. Weeping may hurt God's heart concerning your situation, but it's not the ingredient necessary to have him move on your behalf. Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus. Martha and Mary are weeping. He said, weep not. Didn't I say if you would believe, you'd see the goodness of the Lord? Didn't I say that if you would believe? So weeping, Jesus gets to the widow of Nain in Luke chapter 11, and he tells the widow that's burying her son at the funeral, he tells her, weep not. Jesus constantly was telling people, stop weeping, stop weeping, stop weeping. Why? Because when God shows up, the sorrows of men are erased. Oh, hallelujah. When God shows up, he erases the sorrows of men. That's what he did in John 11. He shows up to the tomb of Lazarus. They're weeping. He says, weep not. I'm here. I'm the resurrection and the life. And isn't it interesting? Before he called Lazarus forth, he said, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. Jesus offered up thanksgiving before he raised Lazarus from the dead. Before you're going to turn that dead situation around, you need to first and foremost offer up thanksgiving and praise to God. Even when you don't feel like it. Psalm 137, there we sat and there we wept. And we remembered Zion. We remembered the good old days. 
Oh, how I wish we were in the good old days. Verse 2 says, We hung up our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked of us, asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. They mocked them. They hung up their harps. My challenge to you today is to unhang your harp. Unhang your harp. Because it's interesting to me, the Babylonians were taunting them saying, hey, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But they refused to sing the songs of Zion. They had, they had hung up their harps. They didn't want to sing. It was hard to sing at a time like that. They didn't want to sing one of the songs of Zion. The Babylonians were foolish. The devil's an idiot. Because he was trying to taunt them to sing. You know, that's, that's what some of you are thinking right now. Well, how can I sing? How can I sing? Going, going through what I'm going through right now. And even when you start to sing, the devil whisper in your ear, how can you sing? Singing one of, oh, you're singing way maker, miracle worker, light in the darkness, that's who you are? Oh, wow. Going through what you're going through, you think you're still qualified to say that? He'll try to get you to hang up your harp. But it's precisely in unhanging your harp and singing. So I always thought it was interesting in Psalm 137 because they were like, hey, sing for us, sing for us. They were stupid because if they actually started singing, it would have provoked breakthrough in, 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 their, in that nation a lot earlier. If they had actually started singing, God would not have turned down that invitation. If they had actually started singing, it would have meant the end for their captivity. But they hung up their harps. Praise is putting a down payment on your breakthrough. When you go to a store to purchase something expensive, most of, most of the time, like a car, and they say your car is not going to be ready for a month, but you need to put a down payment on if you're going to get it. People will put a down payment, $1,500, $2,500, because they want to secure the car, or else the dealer is going to pass that car on to someone else that's more interested in it. So when you put down the down payment, it secures the product. In the same vein, you're believing God for a breakthrough? Praise is the down payment. It's giving God thanks ahead of time, knowing that he's too faithful to fail, and what he said he would do, he's going to do. Faith is the only currency. We're talking about down payments here. Faith is the only currency that heaven respects. There's only one currency that heaven's economy is, actually operate, is operated by, and that's faith. And faith is the, the greatest, or praise rather, is the greatest expression of faith. So faith is the currency, and praise is the greatest expression of faith. So when you praise God, you're putting a down payment on what you know He's not only able, but He's willing to do for you today. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's secret was. When Nebuchadnezzar said, you're going to burn, they said, hey, 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 it's easy for us to answer you in this matter. And really what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying, they were actually giving God praise ahead of time because they said, we know that our God is able. They were praising God for his ability. And then our God is willing to deliver us. We know he's able and that we know he will. They were praising God ahead of time for his ability and for his willingness to act on their behalf. And that's why 
It, the Bible doesn't say an angel. You see, understand this. When you pray, angels attend to your prayer. When you praise God, God himself steps in. In the burning fiery furnace, when Nebuchadnezzar looked over, he didn't see an angel. Bible doesn't say, hey, there was an angel with wings flapping around. No. He said, "There's." didn't we throw three men into the furnace? How is it that there's four and the fourth is has the appearance of the Son of God? God didn't send an angel. God himself stepped into that furnace and he turned it into an air conditioning unit and the only thing that broke off their life was the chains and the ropes that bound them. They left that place not even smelling like smoke. No matter what the devil has planned for you to go through no matter the dark period that you're going through right now David said I will go through I will I will march through the valley of the shadow of death but I'm not gonna fear the evil for his staff his rod is gonna comfort me and it's gonna guide me and lead me to the other side your tomorrow is gonna be all right as you'll lift up your hands today and say I know my God is able and he's willing to do far more abundantly all that I can ask, think, or imagine according to his glorious work. My God's not dead. My God's not expired. My God isn't a thing of the past. My God's not a crutch to get me through life. He is the living one. He's the mighty deliverer. He is the God who can heal the incurable. He's the God that can raise the dead. And if he has not withheld his only son but delivered him up for us all, he will do far more abundantly to get me to the other side. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands. When it feels like it's the hardest time to praise is precisely the time to lift up your hands and praise. My exhortation to you today is never give up. God will not say it's over until you win. The devil said it's over. Man said it's over. Doctor said it's over. Said your case is closed. But God has your case wide open. And he won't say it's over until you win. Don't whine about your situation. Praise your way through your situation. And you'll see what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what has never entered the heart of men. You'll see God do it on your behalf. Because all things are possible to who? To him that weeps the most? To him that cries the most? To him that complains the most? To him that has the worst situation? No, God's not even moved by need. If you think because your need is very, very serious that God's going to do something about it, you're greatly disappointed. You're, you'll be greatly disappointed. God's not moved by need. God's not moved by tears. God is moved by faith. All things are possible to him that believes. So I want to encourage you today. Like that, Sh that Shunammite woman that lost her son, bringing him to the prophet. They asked her, are you, are you okay? Is your son okay? What did she reply? Oh, no, it's actually been a lot. It's been really tough on me lately. All is well. All is well. And I'm going to tell you, when you start to praise God for two things, who he is and what he's done, you'll very, very quickly lose any sense of hopelessness in your heart. And it's important to have hope. Because if you have no hope, your hope is your expectation. If you have no hope, you have no expectation. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. So faith can only substantialize what you hope for. 
So if you have no hope, faith can't bring anything to pass. Devil attacks hope. A hopeless person is a helpless person. A hopeless Christian is a helpless Christian. If you have no help, you can't be helped. But the Bible says, now the hope of God does not disappoint. I'm not talking about a human hope. Well, I hope it turns out all right. I'm talking about a godly hope. I know it's going to turn out. I will not cast away my confidence because it has promise of great reward. I know that the Bible says he honors his word above his name. I know that the Bible says that, uh, that uh, if we'll believe, all things is possible to him that believes. So my hope is not you know, wishful thinking. I hope it turns out all right. Our hope is Bible-based. And the Bible says the hope of God, not the hope of men. The hope of men is hopefully things turn around. The hope of God is God's going God's to deal with my situation because he already promised it from his word. The hope of God never disappoints. The Bible says that. Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That concludes today. I, I said I was going to do one hour, but I did an hour and a half. But before I move on, I want to pray for everyone watching that that you're going through a dark period right now. Things aren't right. And uh, people are laughing. People are mocking. And it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I'm here to tell you today, life ain't going to finish the way it started. And where you are now, camp in it. Don't, I mean, don't camp in it. It's not a place to camp in. It's not a place to stay in. Now's not the time to freeze. Now's precisely the time to do these seven things that I told you to do, and especially the last one, which is to lift up your hands and praise God. Because the Bible says, if the Lord is your helper, then what do you have to be afraid of? Father, in the name of Jesus, everyone watching right now, I pray that the word that I share today would sink deep into their hearts. Father, that there'd be an infusion of faith, hope, and love that would cause them not to walk around discouraged another day in their life, but Lord, to have a, a supernatural strength like no other. The joy of the Lord becoming their strength from today onward. In Jesus' name, I ask you, Lord, that from today, not only that hope would return, but faith would come alive in their hearts to substantialize the thing they're hoping for. That today would mark a turning point for everybody watching me, live and on the replay. That today would be a turning point for them. Where they can date back to January 27th and say that's the day. That's the day everything turned. And though nothing changed in the natural from that day. I had a knowing in my spirit. That my tomorrow was going to be alright. I ask you father. In Jesus name. That a strength would come in them. To not grow weary in well doing. Knowing that your word says that we will receive the harvest if we do not give up.
If we sow to the Spirit, you said you, that we would reap the life of God, divine intervention. Give them power to not grow weary, to not grow fatigued. You said the young men stumble badly, but anybody that waits on the Lord will have their strength renewed. I ask you, Father, renew their strength. Anybody that's running on empty, let the oil of heaven be doused over their lives. Let their cup run over from this moment onward in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. I rebuke discouragement in their spirit. I rebuke every negative word, every satanic pronouncement against their life. Father, I pray not only that that thought would be cast down, but that the thoughts of God concerning their life and situation would begin to bubble up from their spirit from this day onward. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.